Today's episode of the Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Hey, NBA Show fans, we all know meetings. Struggling to pay attention? Files seem impossible to find? We're secretly streaming the game on our laptop while nervously tapping our foot below the conference room table. And if you're not in a room, you're not in the know. Luckily, there's a solution for all the meeting-related issues that we constantly complain about. Welcome to the new slam dunk to work together, Microsoft Teams. Using Microsoft Teams is one play that's guaranteed to work every time, where you can contribute to meetings from anywhere, even on the court. Chat with coworkers so you're never out of the loop, find all your files, and even edit them in real time in one convenient place. The greatest NBA teams have mastered the art of communication and organization. When you're ready to unleash the power of your team, open Teams, because meetings of the past are for rookies, right? There is nothing worse than having to go to a meeting at a time that you don't have to be there anyway. So, like, you have to go to some kind of early meeting when you wouldn't normally be there that early, and then you've gone to a meeting that probably wasn't even about you, and then you got to sit around for a long time. I'd give anything to have Microsoft Teams, because then I could just pull up my computer, and now I'm, I'm part of the meeting, and I don't have to be down at the office for the meeting that wasn't about me anyway. Learn more about how to improve your work efficiency at Microsoft.com slash Teams. That's Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon, and typically joining me on Tuesdays is Kevin O'Connor. But I do want to give everybody a heads up because Kevin's been very open uh, with our listenership about what's been going on with his father and uh, the condition worsening. Kevin is with his father. And I would just ask all of you to say a prayer for uh, Kevin O'Connor and his mom and keep them in your thoughts because they are going through a tough time right now on the family front with dad's condition. And so just say a prayer for Kevin, if you will. Uh, And I know that would mean a lot to him and his family as he has expressed many times on the show before. Regarding basketball, we are going to talk with Jonathan Charks from The Ringer today. Charks, good to talk to you, man. Thanks for coming in today. Hey, man. Yeah, uh, tough stuff, but, you know, I guess we'll just keep on going on. But shout out to KOC and his family. It's just tough, man. His strength through all of this, uh, for those of you, I mean, look, anybody that listens to the podcast knows we've become real friends over the last three to four years, and I've talked to him through this whole thing. His strength through all of this, um, because mom had a health issue at the end of last year, also, his strength through all of this is something that is just absolutely incredible. I've been in awe of him uh, being the rock for his family through all of this, and so here's hoping that... uh, Kevin's able to stay up and that he's he's going to remain strong because it's not it's not easy to deal with what he's been dealing with on the basketball front charts this Toronto team um, I know that their schedule has gotten a little has gotten weaker and there are people that are going to try to poke holes into what is an unbelievable win streak but 15 in a row is 15 in a row <laughs> no matter who you are playing against and they have been on absolute fire again last night though they give up a ton of points and minnesota looks really good starting out last night 
there they are, and they come away with the win against Minnesota last night, extending it to 15 in a row. And I've got some numbers on this that will shock you. But your first reaction to seeing another win from the Raptors last night? The crazy thing is I've lost track of who's going to out for that team. It feels like every time you watch them, somebody else is injured, and they just plug someone else in and keep it rolling. I think last night they had no centers. I think Gasol and Serge were out. To your point, uh, yesterday in the Star in Toronto, they had these numbers that went along. Now, this was going into last night, a night where they shot over, uh, it was, I want to say it might have been 50% from three last night. I've got it with me. Hold on now. It's uh, 53% from three, 57% from the field. So look, the numbers got even better last night. But to your point about doing it with everybody, uh, 15 in a row after last night, through the 14 games, they were first in the NBA in three-point shooting, 40% from three, over a 14-game span. Uh, their ball-hawking, swarming defense created an average of 22.5 points per game off of turnovers. That number was even greater last night uh, as they forced 23 turnovers from the Wolves. Um, they have gotten more than 10 steals per game. Six different players, Van Vliet, Lowry, Siakam, Ibaka, Terrence Davis, and Norman Powell have led the team in scoring at least once. Five of those, all of them but Davis, are averaging 17 points per game through this span. Three undrafted players, Van Vliet, Davis, and Matt Thomas, had 64 points combined in their win over the Nets over the weekend. They won 6 of 14 with at least one of their top seven rotation players out with an injury and have scored 118.3 points per 100 possessions tops in the NBA. And that's all going into last night, and those stats all got better. Yeah, I think when I look at Toronto, what jumps out to me is like, this is going to sound obvious, but all their guys are good two-way players. Like all their guys are really good athletes. They can all defend and they all have a role on offense. And I think that's what allows them to be so interchangeable is like, no matter who comes in, you're still going to guard. You're still going to be athletic. You're still going to move the ball. And I think that's what allows them to kind of change identity on the fly because identity doesn't, I guess it doesn't really change at all because they have these two-way ability. Look at like Terrence Davis. And I think looking back on it, that was one of the big stories of this draft was that guy missing falling out of the draft entirely. And it's like, man, okay, he's a 6'4'2 guard. He's very, very athletic. He can really shoot it. And sometimes you get also caught up in various narratives and this guy's up, this guy's down. It's like two-way ability matters. If you have a lot of good two-way players, that's always the good start, starting point for a team. And you look at last year, without Kawhi, they were awesome too in the regular season. Yep. Maybe we should see that coming again. Just that same two-way ability, that same depth of the roster, a good coach. I'll take you pretty far in the NBA. Regarding Terrence Davis, I, I think I tweeted this out at one point. Oh, I did because I, I I will tell you what the response I got. So Terrence Davis is from like 20 minutes where I am. Uh, I figured he's an Ole Miss guy. Yeah, he's a, Missis- yeah. Well, he's a Mississippi kid that went to Ole Miss. But I do that article about the guys who will not fail. And inevitably... Did you get him in there? I, I go... Th- well, no. Here, Listen ah. to this. I go through... Um, all the guys that are on any mock draft, right? And try to get a thought, you know, because a lot of times when I'm talking to either college coaches or GMs or front office personnel or people that I've known from the past, they'll they'll just say, ah, whatever. Like, you know, especially when I get to the second round guys, mm-hmm. I'm not lying. 
I had an executive, and my note next to Terrence Davis was, should play football. And I tweeted that out one night. Oh, it was Hollinger that tweeted out something to the effect of, how did everybody miss on Terrence Davis? And I said, I went back through my notes, and interestingly enough, the note next to him said, should play football. I had all these people from Mississippi telling me, bro, you should have seen him play football. Evidently, he was like a massive recruit for football. Makes yeah. sense. And no, it does make sense. You see the kid, and he is built like Adonis, and he's 6'4". But evidently, the kid was an amazing football player, too. And so that became, even, which I didn't know, it became even more fascinating that the note was should play football. And the truth is he probably could have played, you know, he probably would have been along the lines of AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and that group of guys that went to old. I mean, imagine if they had all yeah. three of them, if imagine if they would have had, <laughs> if they'd had AJ Brown, DK Metcalf and Terrence Davis playing wide receiver. I mean, maybe they would have won seven games instead of six or whatever they won. But, um, he has been a revelation, and it's not just him. I mean, we talk about these other guys. You know, the Raptors have done this unbelievable job. Like, the one guy that I just mentioned, who is Matt Thomas? Like, I shooter. think everybody— He's the no, one shooter. I know But I'm saying is. I think everybody that's an NBA fan around is going, who? Matt Thomas? Like, and then they see Terrence Davis. Like, who are these guys? Like, Fred Van Vliet was a huge college star. Terrence Davis and, and, and Matt Thomas were, were never household names by any means in college, but they have done an unbelievable job of identifying talent and developing it. And like you say, they got this plug and play system. I don't understand how losing Kawhi Leonard, I know what their record was last year. I get it, but they lost Kawhi Leonard, right? <laughs> and, and they, and, and they are like, if you're the Celtics, you just have to be like, what the hell? You win every night and make up no ground. You make up no ground. They're, the Celtics are like 9-1 and one in their last 10. They haven't made up any ground. It is crazy. Like Boston and Toronto, they lost Kawhi and Kyrie. But yep. they had that. both teams have that like team-wide depth. And it's like, all right, it's a system. we got a program here. We're not just one guy, and we can keep it rolling. Yeah. And so do you think, do you now look at Toronto much differently? I think that we've always looked at the Eastern Conference and known there's like that group of six. There's that group of six teams, whether it, when it's, uh, we go from Milwaukee, Boston, Philly. Those are the three that we talked about the most at the very beginning. But you knew that uh, Indiana, you know, could, uh, could be good. You knew that um, Miami, you knew they were going to be up there. And then who's the sixth one that I'm just losing my mind over? I can't even remember offhand. Well, so it's um, so there's Milwaukee at one, and then it's Boston, Toronto, Miami, and then it's Philly, my and Phil, no, Philly, Indiana at six. All those teams, and then you knew there was going to be a drop off, and then obviously you've got Brooklyn, Orlando, and Washington. But I think at the beginning of the season we thought, all right, let's wait and see on Toronto. We know they're going to be good, but if we're talking about the top tier, it's Milwaukee. I'd say Milwaukee and Philly were the teams that were picked the most by people yeah. going into the season. And then you've got Boston, Miami, Toronto, Indiana, kind of in that next group. Okay? But not Toronto. I mean, they're right there. You know, there's a distance between them and three, which is Boston right now. Has your opinion changed on Toronto drastically from what we thought going into the season to what we've seen now? 
I think the main thing is really, so really Milwaukee, I think, has separated themselves, obviously. They're the top. And that in that middle pack, it really feels like Toronto and Boston have kept it moving and like Philly and Indian have dropped off. That's what's happened more than anything. It's like Toronto has maintained their same pace. And Philly, we all know what happened in Philly. They're who knows anymore with them. Indiana with Oladipo, he's really struggled since he come back. I think they're like 0 and 5 with him. And he's been playing really poorly. So we'll see what happens there. But it really just feels like Toronto's kept the pace. Other teams have fallen back. And it's like they're doing what they do all the time. They're very they're plugging along. And then really with Toronto, it's Siakam, right? It's yep. that emergence. And like my theory with that is like when you have a team like Toronto, when you have so many good two-way players, you're going to win games. And when you win games, your leading scorer becomes a star, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you have this foundation and it propels the guy forward. It was almost like there was going to be a star from this team one way or another because they play too good defense. They space the floor too well. They're going to win a lot of games. When you win a lot of games, one guy kind of moves to the front. And it's like a team success, but Siakam has like kind of been the lead on that because they're so good. Now they have a star. It's like they have this foundation that allows guys to become stars, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, uh, it's reminiscent of, you know, if, if people want to do the the Jordan Kawhi thing, especially when it comes playoff time. I mean, if he wins a third championship with a third different team, he goes into a different class in NBA history. But if you want to do that, when Jordan left, that team still had a ch- chance at the title, right? I mean, they're right there at the very end of the of the Eastern playoffs, and that's the Pippen year, right, where he calls the play for Coach and whatever. But if if we're doing this, then you draw the lines where it's kind of like Siakam is the is the Pippen who is good enough to be the best player on an outstanding team. We'll see what the ceiling is, right? The ceiling gets raised when you have somebody like. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, and they needed him desperately when it came playoff time, and he was the best playoff performer. But much like those those Bulls teams, like we've seen LeBron leave teams and them turn to absolute crap, right? Yeah. And there's sometimes where a guy can leave, like in that Jordan situation, is the one that stands out the most. Like the Bulls were still awesome that year. You know, they won high. Yeah, fifty five, fifty five wins, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have fifty five wins, and they are like. They're on the doorstep of being able to maybe be in an NBA Finals again without Michael Jordan. And I think this is more like that than maybe anything we've seen where it's like, of course, Kawhi takes them completely over the top. But this team is way better than maybe we would have given it credit for even without Kawhi. I know they had a good record last year, but and and I guess we'll see come playoff time, right? If If that's where it shows up. That during the regular season, they are still absolute dynamite and an outstanding team. And it may show up where it's time for that somebody to go take over and win the game. And when you had Kawhi Leonard, it made you a different deal. Um, yeah, that's going like, to be fun to watch in the yep. playoffs. Like, I mean, forget the Milwaukee thing for a second. It's a whole different conversation. But in a second round series, if it's like Boston, Toronto or Toronto, Miami. So like, can Siakam outplay Jimmy Butler? Right. Can he outplay Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? That's going to be really fun to watch on that level. Oh, for sure. And and is he going to be the guy that like takes over the games at the end of games? I mean, we saw we saw Jimmy Butler take over at the end of games for Philly last year. Like there were times yeah. in that Toronto series where because the last four minutes of the game, you didn't know Ben Simmons was on the court. I know that's what the it, playoff shows at all, right? It was yes, like okay, yes. Ben Simmons, blah blah blah. All right, end of the games, it's Jimmy time. Now we'll see in the playoffs. That kind of reveals the real story. Yeah. The other side of the coin on that 
uh, wrapped their win last night was the T-Wolves, who looked dynamite offensively. They're certainly at the start of that game. They ended up with a, a huge amount of turnovers, 23 turnovers, which turned into a boatload of points. Their percentages were good. The total that they scored was good. And it was the first Russell game. He had 22 for him. Towns had 23 for him. And, uh, you know, I was, I don't know how you feel about this, but post-trade deadline, I really, really liked what this Gerson Rosas uh, guy did in in Minnesota. I like Culver. I've been a huge Beasley fan. Um, yeah. Hern- Hernan Gomez is a player. And th- all those guys had 15 points last night. And they ran into it with this smo- uh, with this uh, fiery hot uh, Toronto team last night. But they also, look, in fairness, Minnesota, I read this this morning, they haven't won in Toronto since 2004. So Man. <laughs> that's like... 16 years they haven't won a game there. So it ain't just this version of the Raptors, or I mean this version of the T-Wolves. I just think they had their best game in like a decade against the Clippers over the weekend. And then this was the second time out, and they were going to get Russell in the mix. I just, I look and I see much more competent, uh, more competent basketball players on that team. And I know everybody is beating Russell up to death about everything he can't do. But there's a lot of things he can do, and he's still really young. Um, And I like this. I mean, I like what they've done, and I think through two games, that is a it, – it's clearly a much more fun team to watch than that prior version, which was just becoming absolutely miserable. Yes, it's yeah. mi- miserable to watch because not only did they suck, they looked like they were all miserable out on the court. Yeah, when you can't make jump shots and you're playing in the NBA, you can't win games. And right. when you can't win games, it's hard to get out there and have much energy. I like what you brought up about Beasley and Wancho, and I think that gets underplayed nationally is just the importance of having multiple good players. Like yes. everyone's focusing on Russell and Cat for good reason, right? They're the centerpieces now, but those guys need good players around them. And this is the first time in a long time they've had good players. Like I've been going through Cat's career. Okay, when you can play... Russell Beasley Wancho Cat, you actually have floor spacing. Yes. He's never had floor spacing before. Even in those like team with Tibbs, it was Jeff Teague, Jimmy Butler, Wiggins, very compressed space. Taj Gibson, too. This is the first time in Cat's career he's had space around him. And it's going to be fun to watch like Cat with the good supporting cast. I'm expecting, you know, 40 point games going forward. Well, and he, he, he led the team in assists last night because guess what? To your point, Charks, there's somebody to throw it out to. You know what I mean? If you throw it down to Towns or yeah. you throw it to him at the elbow, like, okay, it's it's great to have the concept of, hey, throw it down. Now they're going to go double him and he could throw it back out to somebody. But like, there's nobody to throw back out to. Throw back out to somebody for what? you right. So that. Exactly. All right. So Andrew Wiggins could take three dribbles in. Jared Culver or like, there's nobody to throw it out to. Now he's got a couple guys. He can he can throw it out too. So if you're either it's now a do or die proposition, you're either going to pay that attention to Cat, or you are going to he's just going to mow you, right? And so yeah, they same what Russell can hit threes too. So I mean they just added guys that can knock down shots, which is the best thing to build around Towns. I like what they've done, and I I'm not going to hold last night against them they will have some defensive lapses for sure but at least they got players now i guess i and i and i'm just higher on beasley than everybody else is 
Nice. I'm with you, Chris. I've yeah. always liked Beasley. And like Denver, Denver's, um, if they draft someone, they're usually pretty good. You look at Denver's like the last six, seven years that that front office, all their guys, like Monte yes. Moore, second round pick, Nikola yep. Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris. If you're on that Denver roster, you can probably play. And they had just two guys who couldn't get minutes because they had Michael Porter behind them. They had yep. a bad year this year because Porter took their jobs. It's no knock on them. And, and, and for Beasley, he goes into a situation where they've got like, I get that they run their offense, you know, through Murray and then through town or through uh, Jokic, uh, the majority of the time, and those are, and they'll even have those guys bringing the ball up the court. That being said, Beasley walks into a situation where he's on a team with uh, Jamal Murray, Gary ne- or, or Gary uh, Harris, who they had given a big contract to, Will, Will Barton, Barton, who Memphis they signed guy. last year and gave money to, and it's like that. That's honestly four natural two guards like guys that you would want to yeah. play as your two guard on a team and guess what Beasley is he is a natural two guard and it's like when he when when Gary Harris was out and guys were out last year he was absolutely awesome for them Beasley like there's been very few times when he gets real minutes if you just told that kid you're playing 30 minutes tonight that he's not going to really produce for you and sometimes produce really big so i thought that was a sneaky Great mm-hmm. acquisition for them uh, during this during that whole trade deadline. Let me move on to a couple other teams uh, that we have seen. So Utah has now won these two games in a row. Uh, the first with this incredible buzzer beater that they had the other night from Bogdanovich, and then you have last night them going on the road and beating Dallas on what which shouldn't be uh, easy by any means, considering they were on the second half of a back to back of a you know, a blood war game that they had just had that they won. Um, Dallas, who, you know, the talk of the town has been, and you can speak to this because you're there, how bad they've been at home versus how good they've been on the road. And so it's not like that is not being talked about a lot. And it was very shocking to see them come out of the box so flat and Utah just jump all over them last night, considering it's been such a talking point about getting off to good starts. And certainly, you know, a team's walking in should be theoretically limping in um, considering the game they had played the night before. And instead, Dallas just comes out crazy flat. Utah jumps on them and is able to get another win that would have gone a long way in the standings for Dallas if they catch that win. I think for the Mavs right now, the big thing, well, A, obviously Luke is out. And unfortunately, that happened right after Dwight Powell got injured. And I think they're still figuring out what this team looks like without Dwight Powell. Like, he's not a big name, but he was a huge part of what they did because Dallas was like a pure spread pick and roll team. It's like pick and roll the entire game. Luca throwing lobs to a big. Without Dwight Powell there, they're having to find a new identity because Chris Tapp is not really a role man. They have Kleber coming in. He's more of a stretch shooter too. And then right when Dwight Powell goes down, Luca gets hurt. And so right now, they're really in a flux. They traded for Collie Stein, but it doesn't feel like Carlisle really trusts him yet. And his minutes have been up and down. So right now, Dallas is like in a total flux. They need this all-star break really bad. They're kind of limping home right now. Yeah, let me ask you about them and what you think. Because, look, let's take the the big view of this. Because anybody that looks at the standings, it's like, hey, they're still, they're still right there in this playoff race. Yeah, that was that it was not good to lose last night to Utah because that would have helped a ton. But they're 32 and 22, which is 10 games over 500. Who knows if they'll get this game before the all-star break. But 
when we take a step back and I tell you, you got to remember they got off this blazing start. They're 17 and seven to start the season. So that's when they got to 10 games over 500 was at 17 and seven. Okay. So we say they're 32 and 22 right now. That means that they've just played 30 games with Luca, without Luca. I get it. With Porzingis without they're 500, right? They're 500. They've been 15 and 15. And that started on December 12th. So that's not like, you know, we're not talking about some kind of small sample size here. You know, if we go all the way back to December 12th, over the last 30 games, they're 15 and 15. So my question to you is, is there, is what their destiny is, is it to be closer to the 10 game over 500 team that they played like when we once saw them at the beginning of the season? Or is it, should we pay attention to the fact that they've been a 500 team since mid-December and maybe they're closer to that? Or is it just somewhere in the middle? What do you think? And I'm saying with Luka back after the All-Star yeah. break, are they more the 500 team that we've seen for a 30-game sample? Or are they more like the first 24 games when they were 17-7? and seven? I think they can get back to their original form. I really do think it's going to come down to finding that role man again, whether it's Cauley Stein. I mean, I love to see Kid Gilchrist play some five. They signed, I guess, yesterday or this morning or they, whatever. They, they signed him this morning, and he's got to save their defense because their defense has been yeah. abominable. It is kind of funny. I saw him when he they came in with the uh, Hornets. He came off the bench, and I was like, I'll be damned. He's putting Michael Kid Gilchrist in. I went and looked, and I mean, it was just DMP CD all the way down this kid's season. They hadn't even used him at all. Yeah, just, he's been out. He doesn't, doesn't even play. And, you know, he is the guy that is, you know, I talk to Tony Allen every week and we goof about this, that, like, the league's just passed you by, brother. Like, there's no place for a guy. So I would love for it if he could prove that, okay, there is a place for a guy like him in this league that could really help a team if you have offensive guys like Luca, like Porzingis, like, right? If he's, if, if you're mixing him in that, because the, the whole idea is, you know, coaches can't take that an offense just disregards you completely, right? Like he is just do whatever you want, run around. Like it doesn't matter. We don't care. Run around wherever you want. We're now going to use another guy and make life hell on Luca on him. Like, we're going to punish you for putting him in the game because he can't shoot. I, I would love for him to, you know, wedge his way into being useful. I think the one role he might be able to have, if you look at him physically, he's about the same size as Draymond's. Like, he's a pretty big guy for a six, seven wing. I think he might could be a role man, right? Because that makes defenses respect him. So if he sets a screen, he rolls to the basket. I think yep. he can get a four on three going. And he's a pretty decent pass. He's a pretty smart player. I think a four on three in space might be a way to utilize him on offense. He's not it a goes, crazy goes, athlete, though, Charks. Like, I mean, how many of those is he finishing? It ain't like he's, you know, Powell's a hell of an athlete. So he's, finish, athlete. he's finishing everything. This I mean, kid Gilchrist, I mean, he's never been an athlete. I think that's got to be his role, though. If he's going to stick in the league, it's as a small ball five because he's not going to shoot. <laughs> Pick and roll layups. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to shoot. Like, we've already established that at this point. Like, that's not going to happen. So it has to be as a guy who kind of attacks the rim and gets into the paint and, like, makes smart plays. If that's not going to be there, it's going to be his last year in the league, I think. Yeah. You do wonder if he can 
actually help them. Certainly, look, now like they just need some form of defense on this team because they have just been abysmal. You know their offense is good. Everybody knows their offense is good. It's just can they get any stops? And for the last several weeks, the answer's been no. I mean, they're you know, they've been teetering towards the bottom of the league uh in that. So it's been a tough go for Dallas. But you think that once Luca gets back healthy and they get their guys, that they will be able to get things back going. Yeah, I think they just gotta figure out the Dwight Powell thing. They just gotta figure out if it's Cauley Stein, if it's Kid Gilchrist, like find some way to replace that role, man. I think that is the key because for Dallas, like realistically, offense leads to defense for Dallas. If you can score baskets, you get back on defense, you're not in transition. I think for them, like they're never going to be a great defense. They have to have their great offense kind of help them along on defense. So if they're not going to, like as counterintuitive as it sounds, if they're not going to score, they're not going to guard either. All right, Sharks, we'll get right back to it. First, I want to remind everybody, today's episode brought to you by Ladder. Do you have enough life insurance? It's this thing we all know we need, but keep putting off because it sounds like a pain to deal with. Ladder has made getting life insurance easy. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions online to get a personalized quote. If you qualify, they'll cover you with the click of a button. No salespeople, no paperwork, no waiting period, just the feeling of doing something right for your family. One of their customers even got a policy in the security line at the airport. Ladder has great prices and rave reviews. $1 million policy starting at just $27 a month. Ladder will help you figure out exactly the coverage you need and even let you adjust it over time so you never end up paying more than you should. Take care of your home team. Visit ladderlife.com slash NBA. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash NBA. Ladder Life term policies are issued by Fidelity Security Life Insurance Company, Kansas City, Missouri. Not available in New York. All right, let's move to the unnecessary drama that always follows the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid yesterday posts, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Hashtag the process. Everybody then perks up because Jimmy Butler responds, I know a place where villains are welcome. Oh and yeah, and so now this is going back and forth. And like, there's even headlines out there. And then Joel Embiid responded to him, damn right, my brother. And so it's like, oh, geez, are we doing this? Are we doing the, uh, <laughs> are we doing the whole open recruitment of Joel Embiid from Jimmy Butler? I mean, again, the unnecessary drama that follows uh, because you know when Joel Embiid, he knows exactly what he's doing when he responds to Jimmy Butler, right? Like the Jimmy Butler, yeah. him responding to that picture can just be like, oh, look at Jimmy, you know, climbing around or, you know, he's trying to recruit Embiid. It is when Embiid responds to it with damn right, my brother. It's like, that's when everybody's like, wait, what? This is all, this is crazy. I mean, they've already been the disappointing team. And this is like so unnecessary. <laughs> Right, like the thing it about go. it is, though, Chris. Maybe it's necessary. Like maybe they got to get broken up. Maybe Jim, maybe Joel sees the writing on the wall. He says, "All right, it's not going to work. Let's figure something out." I mean, if I'm Joel Embiid, I'm thinking about last May. Right, it was me and Jimmy at the end of the games, and Ben was kind of doing nothing, and that was working pretty well. And they broke that up to keep him and Ben together, which doesn't work at all. And if you're Joel, it's like, all right, let's be realistic about this team. It's not going to win. 
So let's figure something else out. Yeah. Well, now everybody is then going to figure out like, oh, well, how can uh, how can Miami get uh, Joel Embiid there? I mean, he's under contract through the 2022-23 season. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, look, if we line up Joel Embiid's contract with Jimmy Butler's age, Jimmy Butler will just have finished his age 33 season at that point. And so that's why this becomes so fascinating. It's like, this guy is not a free agent coming up. This guy is not a free agent for a long time. You well, know, we know how that goes now, Chris, with free agency. I know, it doesn't really I matter, know. right? I guess every, you know what? Maybe we just need to throw out the whole free agent thing and just realize that everybody's a free agent all the time, even if they have a contract. Hey, it's 2020, man. It's free I mean, market. He is. And because it's Jimmy, who he played with just, you know, uh, last spring, and then their season isn't going like they want to go. And, like, you never hear – it's just that that old Billy thing. And I know that it's not exactly some kind of happy-go-lucky place, Philadelphia, um, and that, that negativity, you know, is kind of the mode of operation in many cases. But, damn, if there is, like – can you remember the last like positive thing you remember making headlines from either somebody saying something confidently like we're going to go win the title or like we think we can match up with anybody in the league or like it's always Al Horford bitching or Ben Simmons moping or Joel Embiid responding to comments, you know, talking about how you live long enough to become a villain and then responding to Jimmy Butler. And it's always like about Brett Brown. And then Brett Brown, like, coming out and talking about how, you know, Ben Simmons won't shoot threes. And it's just, like, is there ever good news? Like, it's just always, I mean, it's, it's just this constant negativity about it. It's bizarre. It feels like it has to go back to, like, three years ago when there was no expectations, when they were this yeah. fun young team, when they had, like, Sarge and Covington. Yes. Like, that was the last, like, fun times there was. And then it was, all right, we got to win a championship. We'll try anything. They've tried a lot of things. Nothing's worked and people are getting frustrated. I mean, I get it. But even their own players. Know. You know what I mean? Well, they're like the they're, ones who see it the most, right? Well, and they, players and they, always know, you know, Chris. And they players just brought first. in Al Horford. You know yeah. what I mean? I guess the only guy that could is probably like super happy is the guy we never hear from, which is Tobias Harris, who's got like a billion dollars, <laughs> right? He's got a billion He's dollars. He's a lot of checks. And He's no, like, I don't, yeah, give a, no stress. I don't give a crap what's going on. I got a, I've got a billion dollars. What do I care? Yeah. This is like his fifth team in five years, and now he's gotten made almost $200 million. What a country we live in. You want to you wanna get shocked for anybody out there. Just go, go, like, one day when you dive in the, you get in the wormhole, and you start looking at uh, who the, uh, you know, the, the contracts of guys, go pull up Tobias Harris's sometime. I mean, and your, your mouth is going to hit the floor. Because it's one of those ones that, like, it just gets signed, and then you move on, like everybody talks about it for a minute because it's not like he's a huge star player or something. And then when you see it on a piece of paper, you're like, oh my God, this guy's going to get paid like $40 million in a couple years, like a couple seasons down the road. Like what is happening? Right place, yes. right time. Hey, he's happy. We'll give it to yeah. him. Uh, we'll get it to him for that. All right, uh, real quick look at the standings and what has going on we mentioned toronto i mean the story would be boston 
and how they have gotten it together and have really gotten humming, except that they can't make up any ground on Toronto. And so when somebody's got a 15-game winning streak going on, your, your great run is not going to get the, the play that it necessarily deserves. But I do think it's something to keep an eye on because the Celtics have really turned a corner and have been great heading into this All-Star break. And you wonder what they can look like. Everybody kind of kept saying, like, they still have never had all of their guys. And it's like, all right, what's going to happen when they have all their guys? And the truth is they have been awesome. They've been awesome. Yeah, and you look at that 2-3, that's a really big race. Because you're yep. looking at going from Indiana at 6 in the first round or Brooklyn at 7. So, yes. like, if you can get that 2 seed, you get yourself in a great position. So that's going to be huge down the stretch. 2 seed is huge, as is. Um, you know, look, I, you, you certainly don't want to be in 4-5 because you're going and having to play Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's going to have home court, you know? I think that even given this recent run, you and I still both go, all right, we're not sure of how it's all going to play out when it comes playoff time for the Raptors. We're not sure. Like there is a, there's a question mark because they don't have Kawhi. And so when you get into a playoff series where you're just preparing for the opposite team, I would certainly handicap despite the fact that their record isn't much, much worse. I mean, it's six and a half games. They're behind. I would certainly say I would much rather play Toronto for my chance to get to the East Finals before I have to beat Milwaukee than try to find Milwaukee in the second round. And so that 4-5 sure. thing, you just got a jockey to get out of that. You got to get away from that 4-5. Yeah, that's five. that 2-3-4. So if you're Miami at 4, you got to get to 3. Yeah, if you're at 3, you want to get to 2. I'd rather be 6. I mean, depending on how, if it's today. If it's today, I'd rather be 6, right? Because then I'm playing 3. I just, uh, I mean, and you know what? Toronto's only two games or ahead of Boston. So we may look up at Boston's the two, and we may be saying we want to stay away from them. I mean, the truth is two is a great spot because we've talked about their six fantastic teams. Two is a great spot because you know you're playing seven. And yeah. seven, there's going to be a huge drop-off to seven, from six to seven. So that's why two is just, I mean, everybody coming out of the all-star break is going to be gunning to try to get that two seed. Because you know, I mean, like as of today, you'd be playing Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn or Orlando are the two teams down there. On the other side, uh, Western Conference, it's all gotten bunched up except for Dallas, who has now fallen back and, you know, which was once a home court advantage team. They're now sitting at seven. And that's why I asked you what you think they can get back going post-All-Star break. They're only a half a game back from Oklahoma City. They're a game and a half back from Houston. Um, But the question is, is Dallas, you know, at the beginning, they're a home court advantage team, and now they're a seven seed. I don't think they have great risk of missing out on the playoffs by any means, given their record, because even if they went 500, they'd still end up with, uh, you know, being 10 games over 500. Um, But being... Again, seven, I actually, geez, you'd be playing Denver in the first round. Like, that's not the, it's the difference if Denver, depending on if Denver or the Clippers end up being the two seed. The big thing to me is that three, four, five. If you can get to three and you're playing either OKC or Dallas, that four, five in the first round of the West is going to be a war. If it's like Utah, Houston, Clippers. Yep. One of those 
the team gets out of that as in a great position because you want to play four or five. Do you think Memphis can hold on to eight or do they get replaced by Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans, one of those that they're in a dogfight with? I mean, I'm looking at it now. Like, I really was excited about the Pelicans with Zion, but they got to make up five games in like a month or two months. That's going to be This tough. is a big game tonight. Big, big game tonight, which they are saying Zion will be available for. Um, Wait, what's the game? What's the game tonight? The uh, tonight is um, Pelicans uh, Portland. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah, huge for that for the for, for those playoff standings. Huge with the way Dame is playing. I mean, Dame's I on a whole different level than all these teams at the bottom. Like, if you have the best player in that race, it's always a huge advantage. And that'd well, be the team I'm worried about right now. If you're Memphis, is Portland's. Well, and how about this? Portland is New Orleans tonight. Tomorrow night, Memphis. Second half of a back to back. So they could Ooh. go into the All-Star break in a whole, with a whole different world ahead of them. If they could beat the Pelicans and they beat the Grizzlies tomorrow night, it is, I mean, these are two monster games. Likewise, if they lost to the Pelicans and lost to the Grizzlies, that is, now you are making it a lot more difficult on yourself post-All-Star break. So they're either going to go, I mean, I guess splitting is fine, but if they're 2-0, and they're going to go into the All-Star break feeling as high as they could possibly feel. And if they lose both, I mean, that is, you're going to have to really gather yourself post-All-Star break and try to make a run because you're up against it. Yeah, it feels like the Spurs are going to fall off. They're in the middle of this rodeo road trip to losing every night just about. Yep. And then New Orleans is so far back. I mean, really, it's looking at Memphis and Portland. And then you've got probably the more complete team in Memphis. But then Portland, I mean... When you've got a guy going for 50 every night, like legitimately going for 50, you always have a chance. Any night, any game, doesn't matter. He has just been absolutely positively unbelievable. I saw, I saw, I saw somebody post the other day. It was his numbers. Like, it's over, over the last 10 games, he's averaging over 40. Yeah. It's basically hard. He's going his own version of Harden, basically. He is, he's, he's done that his own of version of Harden. All right. Uh, wrapping up here, I do want to ask you, uh, uh, something about the draft because this you always pay very close attention to the draft speaking of the aforementioned uh grizzlies who i talked to you earlier this year i mean this is a team built in your mind because you loved jaron jackson jr you had brandon clark like in the top five on your mock didn't you yeah, i had him at, i had him at three yeah <laughs> you had him at three hey it's paid off it's paid off you know what i mean because I don't know if he goes three if you redo the draft, but he certainly doesn't go where he went. You yeah. know what I mean? And so uh, you have to be loving that. And last year's draft has ended up, like you look around and there's like there's obviously two future superstars in Zion and Morant, but there's a lot of good players, you know, uh, that are rookies. And then we just saw the trade deadline and you saw teams not necessarily wanting, and I think about that whole story with Minnesota and the Warriors, not really wanting a pick in this upcoming draft necessarily. And the fascinating thing is because the word around is that this draft is not good at all. And I went and looked yesterday and charts after this Halliburton kid went out from Iowa state, there's only three guys that are listed on ESPN's current top 100 players. Three guys that are in the top 10 that are like, we even have a chance of seeing in the NCAA tournament. Three. Yeah. I mean, and it's like Maxie, uh, the kid from Auburn. Um, I'm blanking on his name. 
Okoro and uh, probably the Arizona Man- guys, Mannion, Mannion and Green, Man- yeah. Mannion, yeah. So, but like the rest of them, unless they win their conference tournaments, like the Anthony Edwards of the world, these kind of guys. Um, clearly, we got Lamelo Ball and uh, and RJ Hampton. You got James Wiseman, who's not going to be involved. Cole Anthony, unless his team wins a conference tournament, they ain't going to be there. I mean, and then you got that Halliburton news, and he's made his way into top tens on a lot of these lists. This draft, not only have people said it's not that good, it has gotten mutilated during this college basketball season. (laughs) Even the ones we possibly were going to see have tournament runs or get to see them in high leverage games. Like, we're not even going to get to see them. You know what's crazy? So I did a big Halliburton feature for the season. Yep. And I'm calling around for the story. I'm asking NBA people. And they're all like, yeah, he's fine. Mid first round pick, whatever. And now he's like a top five guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hilarious. <laughs> like no one told me for the year, oh, he's a top five pick. That was not a conversation I had with anyone. And now the way the draft has been, I would say what happens a lot of times when people say a draft is bad, what they're really saying is this freshman class is bad because they're judging the draft based on the one and dones. Because historically, the one and done's determine the strength of your draft. So what that tells you is, if this is a bad freshman class, you've got to go looking elsewhere. And I, I could see the Euro guys moving up a lot in this draft. You've got Theo. I hear some names for some for the people. You've got Theo Maladon. He plays for Tony Parker's team in France. You've got Denny Avija in Israel. Killian Hayes. He's a French kid. You could see some Euro guys. We're not talking about be top ten, top five picks by the time this is all done. All right. Well, at least you're giving me some guys to pay attention to. I will tell you this. I don't know if you if if anybody told you this during your uh, during your article that Halliburton kid at Iowa State. So their coach is Steve Prom. Um, yeah. Steve Prom from uh, who was pr- previously at Murray. His assistant James Kane is he's the one that discovered John ja Morant. In an auxiliary gym. Oh yeah, okay, all so, right. And, and they now got a good eye got, for talent. And, and, no, and now they've got this Halliburton kid. And I was like, oh, yeah, Chris, it's be it's be pretty it'd be pretty crazy if the Halliburton kid goes way high in the draft because it was not a guy that everybody was talking about. And once upon a time, that that guy James Kane, he found like he was the discoverer of John ja Morant that ended up getting him to Murray State in the first place. And now they've got one at Iowa State of all things. I'll give you a Halliburton story before I get out of here. So Halliburton is Wisconsin kid. He was actually in the same AAU team as Tyler Hero back in the day. Wow. So they were like, they were like a starting backcourt in like middle school, early high school. They're playing for a low-level AAU team. And at this point, when you're a low-level AAU, like the big shoe companies come after you pretty hard, get on the circuits. And they, they told him, like, they both have the same thing here on Halliburton. If you want to be a big-time recruit, you got to go national. You got to play for Nike, play for Adidas, whatever. And Hero was like, all right, deuces. I'm doing my thing. I'm out of here. So Hero leaves his program, becomes like a top-10 player, goes to Kentucky. And Halliburton stays at home. That's why no one knew who he was. He didn't play any of the circuits. Wow. So that's why he was, like, not even a top-100 player. Even though in Wisconsin, it was always Halliburton and Hero going for, like, Mr. Basketball in Wisconsin. But Halliburton becomes like an unknown guy because he doesn't go national on his AAU teams. And now, like three years later, it's all come full circle. Because he stayed local, he went to a smaller school no one was talking about. And now he's this big star because he didn't go national. Whereas Hero was like, I'm out of here, y'all. I got to do my thing. (laughs) (laughs) And he ends up in Kentucky. Yeah, he's like, I'm not staying around. Because Hero was supposed to go to Wisconsin. And he's like, 
I can't go to Wisconsin. I'm Tyler Hero. Like, I got to do my thing on the big national stage. <laughs> hey, everybody I know in Kentucky said that dude walks around. <laughs> like, that last year, they're like, uh, I remember doing the draft research, and they were like, with Hero, it's just going to be a matter if the if the people he meets with are put off by it. Because this guy walks around with, like, a swagger and an arrogance. Like, he just, like he is step on campus and, like, I'm Tyler Hero. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. You go to Kentucky, like, there's always like five All-Americans. And like, this is the one year like you're shooting, you're shooting specials. No, it's my team. I'm the guy here. <laughs> yes. And it's <laughs> we're like- changing it up. And they were all telling me, I mean, and these are people that live in Dawa, Kentucky. They're like, people, they're either going to love it, fall in love with it, which obviously Pat Riley did, or they're going to find it incredibly off-putting. <laughs> but you yeah, know, they used to say- a good culture spot for him. They used to say that about Reddick back in the day, right? You either like embraced it, and love it, but like he had too much confidence in the eyes of some people, right? But look at look, look at the career the guy's had, right? You can't you can't argue with it. The reality of it is, you're gonna get attacked out there. Like, you right. better, if you're gonna if you kind of take the take either go defense or go offense, right? Like you're not you're gonna be a target out there if you're an NBA player like that. So you kind of got to push it forward and make yourself kind of pushing it. Because if you're like gonna play it conservatively, you're gonna get killed anyways. Charks, I'm super appreciative of you filling in today. Thanks, brother. It was good to catch up. Yeah, no problem. Good seeing you. Uh, Everybody, please say a prayer for the O'Connors. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing another episode of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars really helps. And we will talk to you on Friday.